Some movies are high brown, some movies are low brown. Welcome to Highbrow Lowbrow. I'm Cooper Gagan. I'm Josh Kirschenbaum. Each week we pick a theme and talk about two movies that fit that the- that theme. One highbrow, one lowbrow. Except for this week we're doing a nobrow, which is uh, we're just going to talk about some topics that some entertainment related topics that are on our mind. Yep. And this week the topic is Cooper is watching Prison Talk. Uh, I've been I've been just deeply embedded in fucking prison TikTok <laughs> and prison Reddit and prison like podcasts and prison youtube channels so you are writing a script set into prison that is the yes. reason you're not just like oh boy no fact, i desperately want to get out of reading about prison it's like being in prison all the time it's a to like being in prison the yeah it's just as 100 percent the same <laughs> i mean it's funny because like the joke that i make is that writing about prison is like being in prison which is like it's like wildly disrespectful to prison because it is very bad to be in yeah but uh in that in, in for writing you are very restricted in that characters cannot do things easily and you have to figure out like weird crazy ways to justify anything happening true which is kind of like what happens in real prison where they're just trying to find creative ways to exist as humans because prison is insanely unethical and shitty and we need to change it yeah although i will say it is structurally there might be a help something of a help there just because i feel like often especially horror movies which you're you're writing Mm -hmm. is that you often have to think why don't they just run away why don't there's always a lot of really easy solutions to many thrillers and horror movies like why don't they just call the cops why don't yeah. they just run away why don't they just actually call <laughs> like draw, go you know go stay at a hotel instead of at the haunted house yeah the really funny thing i mean yeah it totally explains like why he doesn't cuz he's in he's like he's essentially in like a haunted cell right right um, yeah, he can't leave because he's in prison. So right. it's perfect for that. Why doesn't he call the cops? Well, they're, they're just the prisoner guards, and they're not going to believe him. Yeah, they're corrupt as shit. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is that most horror movies spend a lot of effort trying to make sure they don't have cell phones, where we spend a lot of effort getting him a cell phone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is really funny. Yeah. Um, but so prisoners do have cell phones in prison. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, like, you can look up TikTok accounts of people who are active actively prisoners in prison who are posting and have Facebooks and stuff and it's really wild. Oh, that's and they just like the guards just don't know they're just not on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I think they might find out sometimes and then they maybe they get taken away and then like get a phone back. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, you can pretty easily get a phone in prison. I think they're very expensive. Yeah. Like it's you're going to spend like like 20 cigarettes. <laughs> Actually, okay, this is something that this is something that we are dealing with today. Yeah. Um it's ramen so, package, right? No. Exactly. No. Well, <laughs> Uh, it's different things. So they'll often use, um, I think sometimes they use ramen packets, but I think also ramen might be more of like a barter thing yeah. rather than actual currency. Mm-hmm. The thing that's actually like currency currency, and then the reason they don't use cigarettes because cigarettes are banned in prisons now. Sure. Which is also like, just fucking let them smoke. Like they're in prison, but whatever. Um, I yeah. Don't, I don't have a horse in that race. Go yeah, on. Yeah. Uh, they'll use uh, mackerel tins. And they call them Max. Oh, fun. Yeah, because a mackerel, a tin of mackerel is, you know, it's pretty portable. You can get 14 of them from the commissary per week, mm-hmm. um, which gives you like a pretty steady like rate of inflation, basically, for this currency. Yeah. And then also um, they're r- worth roughly about a dollar and nobody wants to eat them. <laughs> So oh. they're valuable as cur- as just currency because like it is a thing that you can readily get from the commissary that you don't really want to actually eat. And the funny thing is they'll still use them after they're expired, in which case they become like literal currency. And oh. they're, they're called money max instead of food max. Interesting. Yeah. Which is funny because like, yeah, at that point, once it becomes inedible, it is literally just currency. Oh, so they're not even using it as like, oh, I'll give you 20 cigarettes for that because I want to smoke cigarettes. It's I'll give you 20 max for that because I can spend those max on cigarettes. Yeah. It literally just is money. 
weird. Yeah. Why don't they just use money? You're not allowed to have money. Oh, sure. You can't like transfer things out of your like canteen account or anything. Yeah, I mean, you can you can have money in your like commissary account to buy stuff from the commissary, but you can't have cash. Right, and you can't just give your commissary money to someone else. No, because they don't want because like these they are don't all want this to happen. Yeah, these are all to buy like things from other prisoners that are like not official. Right, like cell phones. Yeah, like cell phones <laughs> or I don't know, all sorts of shit. Like you can also like. I don't know, pay guys do your laundry and stuff. Like, there's, there's people have Practical. all sorts of like crazy hustles and stuff in prison. Yeah, I saw some account about a guy who like his hustle is he made tattoo ink. That's crazy. And the way you do it is you have to make. I have, I have so many like dumb stories of just like <laughs> shit you do in prison. Yeah, and you're like 85 page movie that has no room for any of it. Yeah, uh, we we get a good amount of it. Like we we find some fun stuff. But um, the way you make tattoo ink is you make this little chimney out of like toilet paper tubes okay. and you just like set you make and then you make a candle out of like a pomade tin mm-hmm. so you put like a piece of toilet paper in the pomade tin that makes a little candle because it's like uh, it's a uh, greasy mm-hmm. and then you just light that candle inside the chimney and you have a little cover over the chimney you just collect the soot and you take the soot you scrape it off you mix it with water and then you have tattoo ink oh that's crazy yeah yeah <laughs> so, so resourceful yeah which is like makes sense like um like that—that's the way that like even like cave people would make like paints, right? Because graphite is like kind of one of the most like elemental, or like carbon is like one of the most like basic ways to make a thing to mark like objects with. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's it's like kind of cool how like like when you're like we just like people will find ways to make in, in this case like art. I yeah. mean, sometimes oh, also just person tattoos to denote which gang you're in and stuff. But yeah. like whatever. <laughs> Practical art. Yeah. But um, no, it's it's like not, like there's other like a lot of the prison cooking stuff is really interesting too. Like there's another fun gadget. There's a thing called a stinger, mm-hmm. which is like you take like a you like fray a uh, like electrical cord and you attach it to like a drain cover that's metal. Mm-hmm. And you basically make like a heating element that you like immerse into a thing of water so you can like make pasta and stuff. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's nuts. Yeah. So what are they doing on Prison Talk? Because I'm not on TikTok that much. Well, I mean, the one I was watching, I mean, I wasn't watching a lot of ones like current prisoners, a lot of ex-prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of them, they're just kind of talking about their experiences in prison mm-hmm. and kind of like answering questions on TikTok and stuff. Uh, one of them was interesting because it was a guy who is a, um, he was like a white collar criminal that went to prison when he was 19 for a Ponzi scheme. Okay. And he just like immediately had to like figure that shit out because it felt like, his experience felt more like if you or I went to prison. It was for like, I don't know, it's it just like, it, he was like a complete outsider. Like, I don't think he knew anybody who had been in prison before that. So mm-hmm. he didn't have necessarily any reference point for it. And you're just trying to like figure it out from scratch, which yeah. is pretty interesting. And, and, that, and that's all the prison talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's the prison talk. That's the prison talk. The prison talk? Yeah, I will. Okay. The prison talk. So, prison talk? so, so you're, we're, we're, funny. wait, but yeah, yeah, I did realize this prison talk T E A L K and T O K. That's good stuff, Josh. Yeah. Thank you. Man, yeah. I try, I try. Too. No, I got it, but I, you know, I didn't, I saw you, but I didn't see you. <laughs> you didn't like Avatar. Game recognized game. game recognized. That should have been the line in Avatar. Instead of I see you, it's game recognized game. Yeah. I mean, okay. If there is one moral to take away from my experience of having to research prison all the time is, uh, if you are a creative, think a little bit about the kind of things that you are writing about because you're going to have to immerse yourself in that world forever. <laughs> like, I think about now it's even like, okay, especially if you're like a TV writer, mm-hmm. if you sell a show that's set in prison, all your life is just going to be prison, especially if it's very popular to get multiple seasons. That's mm-hmm. just going to be your whole life. So 
follow your follow your star, like follow your dream of whatever you want to do it about. But also think mm-hmm. about if you succeed, this is your fucking life. Right. <laughs> yeah. Although I would say it's sort of. I mean, it does depend somewhat on what kind of show you're, you know, are you doing a show that's like realistic mm-hmm. trying to, or trying to be realistic? Yeah. You know, so something like, um, like Brooklyn nine, nine, right. Obviously that's a cop show. Yeah. That's also very funny. Yeah. Very fanciful. And like, they're totally willing to like the many episodes just be very goofy and not mm-hmm. do realistic, but they do seem to do a lot of research on actual cop things. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the later seasons as they became like more critical of police, but even in earlier ones, they tried to be like somewhat specific, but they're probably not as invested in, uh, the real mechanics of policing as, say, you are in the prison game. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine's a good example because it's more, it's like more of a framing premise to like hang a workplace comedy on. Right, exactly. It's just trying to put a fresh, a fresh workplace comedy. Yeah, because there's a, there's a point where, I mean, obviously a lot of the episodes are centered around catching criminals and things like that. Yeah. Or doing whatever cops do. Um, but, a lot of those things you could find ways to map it onto a different job pretty easily. And it's more, and you just, if you use those same character, um, personnel, those same characters, you can map them into a different job and have virtually the same show. Yeah. You need to do a little bit, of, a little bit of research, but often just to find fresh jumping off points to do like workplace comedy bits, mm-hmm. uh, or just to have like the appearance of true of like uh, fealty to the truth of what this experience is like yeah you know i mean you see it in a lot of medical shows um oh yeah well medical shows run a crazy gamut of how realistic they can be right and oftentimes not at all but like they yeah. do need they have medical advisors just to tell them like this is a thing yeah. this is a disease that you could dramatize in a way that's unrealistic mm-hmm. or like you know here's a little bit of how people here's the jargon yeah to make it seem realistic two people could be impaled by the same tree branch right but like <laughs> To what degree are the writers of Grey's Anatomy immersed in the world of running a hospital versus immersed in the world of writing a, sh- a soap opera that is has the gloss of hospital? Yeah, although on it? I was even yeah, that's that's true, especially like when it comes to like the research component. But I was yeah. also thinking like as a if you're thinking as a showrunner, mm-hmm. just on a day to day level, like you're approving props that are hospital props all yes. the time. You're approving costumes that are hospital costumes. So it's like a funny thing where it's like. I really envy like sci-fi writers where you just get to like blow it out with like really cool effects and things. But if you're like a really gritty, I don't know if you're just like a real, if you're like doing like really gritty, realistic stuff, it's just like a very different world you have to live in. Yeah. It, it, you're, you're building a prison for yourself. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if like, I guess to me, like I wonder if there's ways in which often like the sci-fi element of it might actually be a more rigorous, like, test depending on what you're doing like if you're like, you inventing a new machine yes or a new like like time travel especially primer like, you're talking about primer you need to convince the audience that it makes sense and they're going to be looking for ways it doesn't whereas if you're like if there are doctors and you just tell them you've got corpse disease i think the audience is going to be like yeah sure corpse disease yeah because it does it looks pretty <laughs> normal they're yeah. not their hackles are not as high the audience is not like does not want to fact check your medical show but if you but the nerds on the sci-fi yeah, show. Yeah, I, I was thinking, is they this, is this more about the type of people that watch <laughs> sci-fi versus the type of people that watch uh, medical shows? It's just that nerds are the most exacting, like, hellacious audience. <laughs> it just feels to me like you're, with the sci-fi stuff, you are, or the fantasy stuff, you are trying to convince someone that your world makes sense. Yeah. Whereas in the medical shows, it's just people are like, oh yeah, medical, that's a thing. And if you get it wrong, it's like, yeah, yeah it's like, don't give a shit. That's like such an interesting kind of like seesaw to have to live on mm-hmm. for the whole like quote realism thing because it's it's never realistic right. right like no show is ever realistic because it's like life doesn't follow a three-act structure just 
think nothing works like that. You have to make it interesting. Yeah. But there's like the idea of realism. <laughs> And then, like, actual realism. And then there's the other shows that just completely abandon it, which I guess is kind of what we were talking about in the last episode, yeah, like we, the whole Bond thing. Right, which will be coming out after this record. In the next episode. This is a preview for the... This is what we did last As time, we, we always do it, yeah. It's very... um, but there's it's, there's that interesting line where it's it's less about what is actually realistic or not and what will what will the audience reject or not. Exactly. It is the appearance of truthfulness. It's it's the verisimilitude of it all. Yeah, and yeah, just, like, where's where's the pain point... And there's like the funny thing of like, yeah, it's, and then sometimes you'll run into things like this is actually something that happens in real life, but it feels too fake. Yeah. Or it just, it just like feels too much like things you've seen in fiction that the audience will reject it, even if it's true. Which is a thing that does happen. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, you'll be a story where like it's so crazy that they'll have to cut out some of the true stuff. Um, yeah. Often with coincidences is a big thing. Yeah. One of the more famous ones is, um, Supposedly in Good Night and Good Luck, right? Um, you know, which they it's about like McCarthyism. They would they would get notes back from preview screenings that the actor playing Joseph McCarthy was too over the top, <laughs> whereas it was actually just archival footage of Joe McCarthy. That's really funny. Yeah, and didn't that kind of happen with the Elvis movie? Uh, what? Which like stuff was so crazy. Well, no, I th I thought it was um. Uh, Tom Hanks' character had that weird accent. Yeah, he actually did sound like But that. he actually did have the... I mean, I think there might have been... There were probably parts of that character that were unrealistic in other ways, but the accent was the one thing that was actually true to life, and people were <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? I would believe it. Yeah. yeah it's always just the crazy... Everyone's always like, oh, Holly, weird, destroy... Like, fucking up true stories. Like, no, no, we... Oftentimes, not always. Yeah. Writers are really trying to get across, like, the experience... Like, the truth of it as best they can. But oftentimes, the story is just so crazy. Yeah. Or it's just... I mean, like... um. Compressing characters is also another one. Yeah, we've we've talked about that. Yeah, we talked yeah. about we've talked about that before. Compressing characters, compressing timelines, and then kind of removing coincidences sometimes. Yeah. But the coincidences is something that I struggle with writing in mm -hmm. general because you, you have that thing. It's you're it's this weird metagame you're playing with yourself because you're thinking coincidences happen in real life. Yes. Like sometimes pe two people who happen to be involved with each other just like run into each other at the grocery store or whatever. Yeah. But in a movie, it feels like you're being lazy. Mm -hmm. Whereas, it, it, I don't know, it's like, how do you, it's like really hard to find that line of when you can use coincidence and when it is a crutch. Right. I mean, we, I mentioned this in the last episode that we recorded, which will be coming out next week, but the yeah. Pixar rules of storytelling, one of them is, uh, you know, coincidences can get your character in trouble, but not out of it. Yeah. But oftentimes, even if it, get, if it gets them in trouble in a way that feels contrived, even that can be problematic. Yeah. Um, I mean, Oftentimes you just have to hang a lantern on it on a coincidence and it'll work, or it has to be a cruel twist of fate. Like the yeah. most famous coincidence in movie history is uh, Elsa, Elsa in um, Casablanca walking into Rick's bar. Oh right, yeah. What are the fucking odds? Yeah. Of all the bars and all the gin, of all the gin joints and all the towns of all the world, she walks into mine. That's an insane coincidence that she did happen to do that. But that is the funny thing is that that that's the other. So you're, I guess that's the example like hanging a lantern on it where. Mm -hmm. The whole movie is built around that. Yeah, like it's like so. If, if you have something weird happen, sometimes it only works if you build the entire movie around that weird thing. Yeah, and then as long as that's the one weirdness, we can deal with. Like we, I guess we can deal with one weird thing. Yeah, or if the theme of the movie is coincidences and and, and cruel twists of fate. True, like that's in true. Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, Pulp Bruce Willis just happening to run into Ving Rhames crossing the street. Yeah, I mean, what are the fucking odds? Yeah, but, but it's about that. It yeah. doesn't solve anything. I mean, I see. I guess that does follow the Pixar rule, which is like it gets them in trouble, not out of trouble. Right. You think it's going to get them out of trouble, but then it gets them in a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So like that can work if you're doing like specifically, yeah, either that's the theme or hang a lantern on it. What are some examples of like a coincidence that felt really contrived or like really didn't work? I'm trying to think of some example. I mean, we talked about um, in GoldenEye. So stay tuned for next week when we get really into that. Yeah. In GoldenEye, he happens to run into the villain of the movie for no real reason. All right, here's a. Uh, I'll, I'm just pulling up a Reddit thread. What's the biggest coincidence you've seen in a movie's plot? Yeah. Uh, mine is how the only two things in Terminator 2 that could possibly stop the liquid metal robot were extremes of heat and cold, so they crash a liquid nitrogen truck into a steel foundry. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I never thought about that. Yeah. In Spider Man, Sam Raimi Spider Man, his mm-hmm. like best friend's dad is. Green Goblin, right? Just happens to be the villain. Oh, but you have yeah, that that, that's the yeah. thing that happens a lot. It's just like the villain is somehow related to you outside of you being. I mean, you have an alter ego, and then the alter ego deals with this, this person. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, the droids and well, this is set up the droids in Star Wars finding Obi Wan. Uh, they just happen to crash land on Tatooine, and that happens to be where Luke Skywalker, who is like the son of oh yeah, they Darth Vader, right? They weren't. That was just purely a coincidence. Yeah. That's insane. That is crazy. But that's also I mean, something... It's also a world in which magic exists, so... But that's also something that was not... It's a coincidence that Obi-Wan's there. But Luke was not Darth Vader's son in the conception of the first movie. Was Is that something they added later? Oh, I don't remember. I have no idea. Yeah. It, based on how fucking demented the Star Wars development <laughs> is, I kind of assume they make up everything on the day. <laughs> that might be true, yeah. Actually, yeah, I mean, now that you mention it, that might, that might not have been built into the original premise. Although I feel like George Lucas is a... Pr- planned out so much stuff but they also planned out so much garbage that you never did later like all the stuff like the wills or whatever yeah oh i have a crazy one uh star trek the, the reboot 2009 spock being on that ice planet you know because he goes back in time and he finds himself right no, so or something um something weird there's he, an older version of him yeah so the whole plot of that movie is like that there is just like a time thing like some people end up back in time or something mm-hmm. that's why eric banna's character has like more advanced weaponry right so like um if i remember correctly Kirk gets exiled to this ice planet. That's, I mean, people just happen. That's that's very strange. It just feels lazy. That's when it feels lazy is yeah. when it's just like someone's conveniently there. Yeah. And especially like if that was the inciting incident of the movie, which uh, Star Wars maybe gets, maybe I'm a little bit more favorable to Star Wars that one because it's like, is maybe the first thing that ha- is the second thing that happens in the movie. Yeah. And it's so it's kind of like the movie is a little bit built around the fact that this coincidence does happen. Yeah, I, I think it's better when the movie it sets up the movie. Like with 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 Casablanca, the reason we're watching the movie is because this one big coincidence spun out of everything. Yeah, spun out this whole other story, right? Like that's why we're watching this. Oh wait, no, they send the she sends the droids to Tatooine to, they, fi- no, to find him to, to find f- Obi Wan. Oh, you're right, because the message. Yeah, help. Yeah, help me, Obi Wan. Right, this guy on Reddit has no idea what they're talking. That about. fucking dipshit. <laughs> um, okay, so here's an actual one. Uh, here's two of them. Spider Man Three. Of all the places in the world, the black alien thing happened to land next to Spider Man's motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Venom just lands. On, what are the odds? Of Venom, like a superpower giver, Venom. Yeah, from space, just happens to crash land on Earth next to Spider Man, the one man on Earth who has superpowers already. I mean, yes, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, especially because, <laughs> like, again, that has happened. <laughs> With Norman Osborn being his like best friend's dad, like yeah. this guy is just a magnet for bad things. Yeah, like on one hand, there's the thing of because also, it's the you're... first time we've seen alien life. Yeah, yeah. big deal. And he's a Spider Man. Sorry, what were you saying? I was saying like so. There's the thing of like because you're Spider Man, things happen to you because you you know yeah bad guys appear because you're Spider Man. Yes. Like you know the theme of Batman is often you know he was created he became Batman to stop the mob, but then he inspired all these other villains, and now he has to keep being Batman. Yeah. Uh, so that like you know the Nolan stuff really leans into it, but here it is more like. 
yeah. Also, yeah, Spider-Man 2, Otto Octavius, also has a connection to Peter. Yes, he's just... He goes to visit his lab as a student. Yeah, and then uh, then he happens to become Doc Ock, and also uh, Dr. Otto Octavius happens to rob the bank at the exact same time and place Peter Parker and his aunt happen to be applying for a loan. Yes, that's also crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean, that is expedient storytelling, so I like that. Yeah, it is funny that just like, I don't, I don't know, like we don't like give a shit about those because they're like kind of well, it just gets it's a fantasy world yeah i mean the movies and the movies aren't asking much of us like if that if something like that had happened in i don't know a movie that was like trying to take itself more seriously you know yeah it'd be tough i feel like fargo has some weird does fargo have any weird coincidences i don't think so i mean the only thing that's bad is that they get pulled over by that cop but that's because the tags are expired and that's because william h macy is an idiot yeah <laughs> i mean yeah it's like marge happens to like catch them while they're doing a thing, right? Yeah. I feel like there's a there's a runner of coincidences in movies that you hang a lantern on, which is just people accidentally killing other people at like lucky times. Mm-hmm. Or it's like somebody's bad at somebody's like bad with a gun and they end up just like accidentally shooting everybody, which is kind of like a joke. Right. You play it as a joke. It's like a coincidence yeah. as a joke that also helps the plot. Right. In iRobot, we talked about that. The scene where Bridget Monaghan uh like closes her eyes and shoots the gun and shoots off the robots. Right, yes. Yeah. And they yeah. get mad at, But they again they hang a lantern on. They're like, Did you close your eyes and shoot at me? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I saw a trailer recently that did the same thing where I think it was for uh, the new Burt Kreischer movie. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think he drops a gun and it shoots like three people. <laughs> it like shoots one guy who then like falls over and shoots another guy and just everybody in the room is dead. Yeah, and that's the thing where it's a it works because it's a joke, mm-hmm. and I guess like making a joke is hanging your lantern on it. I guess that is the thing. Yeah, I mean, Game Night uh, has a lot of coincidences in it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, you have. Um uh, well, that the the actually game night the coincidence kind of did bother me a little bit, even though I love that movie. Yeah, but the whole fact that the um, Bulgarian, sure, sure, yeah, whatever the Bulgarian, he kind of just happens to show up and find them when they've been making all these fake trades for the egg and stuff. He yeah. doesn't, he didn't necessarily have to know about that, right? It just kind of also happened. Yeah, I I also find that movie a little confusing in the plot. Like every time I watch it, I'm like, right, that makes sense, and then every time. Like when they reveal everything, but as I'm watching it, I'm always like, "How does this I think work?" It, I think it is actually just a big coincidence, because like the 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 kind of double fake out with the fact that the spoilers for Game Night, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so on the same night, okay, so it's not a coincidence that Jesse Plemons would do this fake out. Like the you know a, a game night on top of their game night because he knows they're doing a game night. Yeah, it is a coincidence. That um, uh, what what's what's the that Kyle Chandler Kyle, that Kyle Chandler happened to be in the trouble from a mobster, right? But then, so then that's not okay. So, but then from that, they go to find the they go to based on Kyle Chandler's advice, they go to find like the egg, right? Right. So that's not a coincidence because they're just like going off of what they know, right? Exactly. They're they're Jesse Plemons has like abducted them as like a, a game night, yeah, and then they. Like he think Kyle Chandler thinks it's this egg thing, so right. then they go out and antagonize the egg people. Right, but there's no reason that the Bulgarian guy would know they were even doing that. I think he it's like an offhand line they try and wave it. He says something like, "I've been trying to track you all night," or something like yeah. that. Yeah, or I've been after you, and I finally found. It's like a very like you just have to accept that he's like been has spy powers. Yeah, but I guess like maybe. If, like the fact that he somehow found out the egg got stolen and that was what activated him. Yeah. But I don't know why. Right. 
that doesn't really make a lot of sense. No, but I mean, again, that's like a comedy. And that is like a thing where like the complexity of like the plot kind of just like elides it in a way that makes you not care. Yeah. And they, and they, they hang a lantern on that too at the, at the end when they beat the bad guy, spoilers, uh, they, <laughs> spoilers, they win. Uh, like Kyle Chandler's like, and that is how you do a game. Night. Right. And he's like fucking with them. But yeah. Like, when I first saw that, I was like, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no fucking way. Game night is one of the best comedies. It is extraordinary. Of my lifetime. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I, I think what's so special about game night is partially that, it's not just a vehicle for someone who's already existingly funny. There are comedians. True. In it. Yeah. You know, you have uh, Lamar Morris. Uh, I mean, Jason Bateman, obviously, is like a comedic actor mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, I'm sure there's people I'm forgetting, but I mean, Chelsea Peretti has a small part. Yeah. I mean, um, Billy Magnuson is often funny. is often very funny. He's not like a stand-up. None of them are stand-ups, are yeah. they? Yeah. Not, I mean. Yeah, not that. Well, I Chelsea Pretty is, but she's such she's in one scene. Yeah, or at least Lamore Morris is like it was in a sitcom for years. Yeah, he was. You know, so many comedies are. We have a funny guy who has their funny thing we're doing. Let's yeah. take this idea for a movie and like structure it around you know uh, Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell. Yeah, or Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey or Melissa McCarthy. Oh, Melissa McCarthy to her credit often changes the kind of role she does movie to movie, which is kind of fun. That's true. But you often have to kind of like warp the plot of the movie around this character right we have one person who's gonna do stuff mm-hmm. and the whole movie is that can they do stuff whereas game night is just a very well-written comedy with a lot of good jokes because it's actors like to to praise actors for a moment mm-hmm. in this case they are used well as tools yeah to just do a very funny movie and also the like the surprise breakout of that movie is rachel mcadams who is just great and i just i guess she is she is a comedian she is a comedy point, she's yeah. a new girl I mean, sorry, not New Girl. Um, mean Girls. Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she's in Mean Girls, and then she's a basically most rom-coms and dramas for a while. Yeah. And then she's kind of had this, uh, I don't even know if it's a second act or third act or whatever, but now, I mean, between this and uh, Eurovision, she's just sort of a right. comedic actress now. Yeah, and, and she's, she's really good. Incredible, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, her line reading of, oh, no, he died, is like is Comedy so Hall of Fame. I know. It's funny. I was actually thinking about it the other day because we watched Game Night kind of recently yeah. for a movie night. But there's the part where in the in Act One they're giving Billy Magnuson shit because he's being very like like shallow and bringing these girls by to the game night just because mm-hmm. they're he thinks they're attractive. Yeah. But it's funny like them saying that when like Rachel McAdams is like one of the best looking people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, like it's yeah, it's like yeah, it's not like you guys' relationship. Like you're two beautiful people in a relationship. Like why are you roasting this guy for for like being a beautiful person wanting to be a beautiful person? Well, because the people he's bringing around are also dumb and They're in one case dumb. racist. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was a really funny joke. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, they're. Both Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams are like smart and cool and funny. Yeah. And like they can hang. Yeah, that's true. Got to be able to hang. They, they can hang. So Rachel McAdams, who is, you know, beautiful. Yeah. It's, it is, it, it, it can be kind of like a uh, a detriment to a comedy making sense. And mostly I'm thinking of Eurovision where like oh, okay. she's supposed to be in love with Will Ferrell. Oh, right. Well, and like yeah. her whole thing is she's in love with him, but he like is not like as responsive specifically because he like wants to win Eurovision or whatever. Yeah. And like because she is Rachel McAdams and he is Will Ferrell. <laughs> It's like, like she is giving a such a funny winning performance in that movie, and just by virtue of the fact that she is like stages tears more attractive than yeah. Will Ferrell, the movie kind of doesn't work on that dramatic level. Yeah, I mean, on like on the story level, that's like kind of. I mean, I think that's a complaint that a lot of people have had about comics for a long time. Is like, why do these just like schlubby doofuses who like also like in character have 
bad jobs are not are like maybe not good people yeah. don't have anything going for them but then they're they're being fawned over by like this beautiful like romantic interest right it's like i mean it basically comes down to just like really entrenched sexism and like yeah. to get to the point in hollywood where you'll be up for a role like that as a woman you need to be very attractive just yeah because of like how sexist everything is yeah yeah so you end up with like yeah like rachel mcadams and will ferrell yeah or you know the entirety of Seinfeld. <laughs> the entire run of Seinfeld. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> these these trolls <laughs> and Elaine. Right. Or I'm thinking more just that like Jason Alexander is not I'm not saying there's a bad Oh, you're guy. thinking about the love interest that they bring in from episode to episode? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, for Se- sure. Seinfeld and uh um uh yeah, and fucking George, George are always dating, which is like model beautiful people. Yeah, it's like every episode. I know. And it's funny because like George is always complaining about how like bad he is with women. It's like, I mean, based you are scoreboard, you're doing it. great. <laughs> Although that is like his whole character that he's just constantly complaining about bullshit. Yeah. That's the whole show. Despite having a pretty good life. Yeah. <laughs> like just like falling ass backwards and working for the Yankees. Yeah, he works for the Yankees. Yeah. And he's like, just gets, and he's just constantly <laughs> complaining about having to do a job. Yeah, I know. God, that show's so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it's the, the just the attractiveness thing. It's also a thing you just see in. Um, it's a thing you see in like you know. There's there's always a lot of age gaps in movies. Oh yeah, uh, which has always been, you know, bad. Or yeah. Not always bad, but like when it's like a thing that's so casual, it's like oh yeah, you know, like in this movie, it's another male star in their like late forties dating someone in like their twenties. Right. Yeah. It's just kind of like institutionalized sexism that like only young women can be stars, but men are able to be stars for longer and longer and longer. So right. they just like kind of fudge that detail. Yeah. Men always play younger, but women, once they get a certain age, like up, oh, they're old. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it's bad. Yeah. Shouldn't do it. Yeah. Although in the, in the case of something like Eurovision, it's like actually breaks the world of the movie <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although I've got, I mean the, the, the craziest version is always, uh, Dustin Hoffman and, um, and, and Bancroft in the graduate. Or just well, the that's cr- what the movie's about. It's like though. no, it's like the reverse of that actually, oh, okay. because in there, Anne Bancroft's thirty four, and Dustin Hoffman I think was like thirty in that movie. Oh, really? that's really <laughs> like funny. they were basically the same age, and he's like this young guy, and she's like this old like predator basically. And yeah. She's thirty four. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I actually have a random topic that sure. might be. I mean, I was talking about this with Michael, past and future guest of the show, the other day. Um, by the other day, I mean this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was thinking maybe it's uh in this is totally unrelated to anything we're talking about. Maybe it's inherently unethical to have child actors. Oh, maybe. Because it kind of like, I don't know, it's it's child labor. We don't like allow child labor in other venues. True. And it just like is in and like if ki- people kids are too kids like can't consent to anything cuz they're not adults yet. Yeah. So they can't like agree to work, which is why we don't have child labor. So it like might might just be inherently unethical to have children in movies. I mean, there are some examples of child labor in terms of like kids can work at like their parents' businesses. That's true. Like, restaurant, like I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just the one example I can think of. But the um, there's a Mexican restaurant in Northfield where I went to school. Mm-hmm. And, like it was just the family like ran it, and they like they had kids who were just like you know eight or nine or something. They would like take your order, bring your food. Yeah, out, that's fair. Like that. uh, although that is a small family business, slightly different from like you know. Yeah. And then we were also talking about maybe maybe there's like a middle level of it where it's like maybe it's maybe it's like ethical because like you can have a kid on set for a couple of days because he's a small role and it's mm-hmm. not going to impact his life super negatively. Yeah, take two days off school. You have a tutor or whatever. Yeah, you have a nice time. You get some nice experiences. Your family makes money. Great. Yeah. Um, but maybe so maybe it's unethical to have movies starring children. Oh, interesting. Like to actually 
to demand them to be in like a big role. Yeah. So like Home Alone is unethical. Yeah. But like a, another movie where there's just a kid who is like a side character who you would only have like a certain amount of shoot days with them. Yeah. Maybe that's more ethical. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder. I mean, laws are just the. We, we all just kind of decide as a society the things we want or don't want, and then we write laws around that. Yeah. So it's really just like we like seeing kids on screen, so we're just okay with it. Yeah. I mean, there's like, and there's like some laws that protect them, although, you know. Yeah, there's like the, all the Coogan stuff that has come up is make sure they don't get their money stolen by their parents. Right. Which is nice. Yeah. It's a nice, it's, it's important that we have that. Yeah. And then the one thing I was thinking about is it actually, it makes a great case for animated content for kids. Yeah. Because kids in animated films are often just played by adult women. Yeah. So you can ethically have a child like character without having the unethical, without unethically like kind of taking a child out of school. Mm-hmm. And also this came up because we were talking about kind of how like school, like teachers on set are kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like they do maybe like three or four hours of work a day. If the teacher isn't, and if the teacher like pushes back too hard against the production about like, you need this kid needs to like learn more. They'll just like fire them and bring in a new teacher. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's pretty much it's pretty bullshit. These kids can get away with like not that they're they're not actively trying to get away with anything. Yeah. But these kids can end up not being educated in any way. Yeah, and like professional child actors, like actor like child kids who are just like I'm a child actor and like whose parents are like show his parents. Yeah, like they are not taking their schooling very seriously. No, um, as someone who is tutored at a school of actor kids before, like, yeah, they're not taking their schooling very seriously. They don't think they're going to college. They don't want to go to college. And I mean. Oh, some of them won't need to, which is true. Yeah. But then some of them might. It's kind of like athletes where it's like, yeah. you know, if you don't make it to the pros, you might want to have a fallback. Exactly. And also, but also in terms of like education in general, you know, it helps for a society to have people be educated. Yeah. Because then also like, even if they do become fa- if they do become famous as adults, it'd be nice if they were educated so they don't say dumb shit. Yeah. It would be nice for them. Certainly. It's a, and also nice for us because act- actors have like an outsized influence on our culture. That's true. Yeah. Uh, it's funny with the with the child actor and the ethics of it all. Like, I th- it's funny. If, I think the if it weren't for the reality of humans, I think you could make a case that there's an ethical case. Would if you could actually make sure they were still educated. You know, you're saying like, okay, you they wanted the money is all going to be theirs. It's mm-hmm. going to be put away. You know, they're chasing a dream. They have a talent. You're nurturing their life passions. You know, but in practice, you have showbiz parents who are kind of terrible. Yeah, kids who do not get schooled or educated, and like studios, which are by nature being corporations, just like predatory. Right, exactly. It it it, the fact of the matter of the industry being what it is, Mm -hmm. and the fact that like I think a lot of showbiz parents are probably not the best. Yeah, not all of them. I'm sure there's definitely there are lots of good ones, but there are cases of bad showbiz parents who like force their kids into it and do do not educate them and are controlling. And it's very hard to tell the difference is like the big thing because you don't, it's like asking kids, it's really hard to, because they're kids, they don't, Mm -hmm. A, don't even necessarily know what's going on and B, if they do, they can't, don't necessarily, aren't necessarily able to articulate it. Yeah. So it's like really hard to evaluate objectively what's going on like whether a kid is being like harmed or not in this situation. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's just a tough, it's a tough, it's a pickle. And yeah. then, and then the end result is, I don't know, movies with kids in them. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's like kind of, I don't know if the benefit outweighs the cost. I mean, let me think, let's think of some movies we'd lose. Okay. So a lot, there'd be a lot of bad movies. I mean, let the right one in. We were talking about it. We yeah, would we, lose that. We lose let the right one, in, which is an incredible, like five star movie. Yeah. But also, like, maybe with technology, we can have, like, weird CGI. We can do, like, weird, like, face mapping. It's, you know, it's really funny. With AI, if I remember correctly, 
the, you know, they cast Haley Joel Osment, mm-hmm. and like I think there's this whole thing of like Spielberg and you know Kubrick was developing at first, and they were like they didn't think that movie could be made because there, there was no child actor who could act that good. Oh. And they were like thinking like, could we do a person? Could we put them in makeup? Is there technology? Until yeah. like Sixth Sense came out, and they're like, oh, this kid can actually act. Yeah, Although at a high quality level, we can we can make this movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing kids are often bad actors so we, there's a lot of movies that we are miss that we're missing that won't necessarily matter i'd say we're living in a golden age of child actors because if you go back to old movies child actors are fucking garbage yeah uh which it makes sense <laughs> because they used, maybe they used to have to like go to school and yeah stuff. <laughs> um yeah i mean oh right, so we're, we're trying to think of what movies we would lose if we made if we banned child acting so there's certainly a lot of bad movies we'd lose i we mean would, you'll, you'll lose any scenario of a comedian with a kid you're 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 the game plan the pacifier the big daddy <laughs> so far these spy. are so far these are not great losses right so like these that is a genre that is like often pleasant but not like a huge deal like if if, the, if we lose the tooth fairy starring the rock i don't even think the rock would mind yeah uh but what are some great movies i mean let the right one in let the right one in beast great. of the southern wild we would lose that's true room i'm thinking of the ones where the kids were nominated for oscars yeah uh true grit oh yeah true she's 13 13 or 14 ish. But you could kind of just have, I mean, you could find, could you find a super young 18 year old that, that, cause I mean, that's the other thing is like high school kids are played by 25 year olds all the time. Like we, it's funny that sometimes we'll, like, as I feel like as a culture, people will complain about, Oh my God, these people are like 25 and they're playing high school. That's so dumb of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. But now in this context, I'm thinking like, Oh, that's like the most ethical thing Hollywood has ever done. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, like it's we should have twenty five year old play, like twenty five year olds playing fifteen year olds because yeah. it's it would hurt the fifteen year olds to make them play fifteen year olds. Right. <laughs> like this is this is weirdly like maybe it's dumb, but it is actually like one of the more ethical things that happens in Hollywood. I guess off the top, you really you have like there's the art movies you lose like like yeah like let the right one in or Beast of the Southern Wild. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess there's a lot of kids. Like Barney and stuff, like a lot of kids' TV shows. Oh yeah, I think. But that then you get back, like, just use more Sesame Street, because like animated, with like kids, small kids, stuff for kids, just make it animated, right? I guess with Barney and Sesame Street, because those are like educational, like they're they're learning at like the letter age, you yeah. Know? Like that's not like they're not forcing them to act so much as just like be pleasant around a puppet. Yeah, but I guess the other thing is like it, we're tar- partly talking about like scheduling of just like how much of their life is eaten up by this pursuit. True. But also, I don't know how I haven't watched Sesame Street in a long time. Same. I can't remember how much those kids are like main characters in it or if they're just in and out. I, they've got to be in and out, right? I don't. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like it, but I don't remember Sesame Street well enough. Me neither. I mean, I remember, obviously, you know, like certainly you could do it that way. Could we just do a weird, like bizarre suspension of disbelief where we just put a like 18 year old in there and we're all like, we're just going to pretend she's nine. <laughs> I mean, fuck off! It's for the it's for the good of the culture. I mean, in like Shakespeare's time, you know, we did that with women, men and women. Yeah, women, but women were played by My young men. men who whose voices were still like like literally yeah. like twelve year olds. So it was yeah. the, they were using children instead of women. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> I didn't realize the men who played the women were so young in that time. Well, it's a it's a plot point in in Shakespeare in Love that like the the guy that who's going to play a woman goes through puberty. And is the oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so maybe we don't. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is the in animation is the inverse is that the women play children right yeah because like Bart I like Bart Simpson is Nancy Cartwright yeah yeah although in like cartoons of like uh, I feel like in like movies you just you have like like men playing men and women playing women yeah yeah because at that point then it's like because like the Simpsons or uh, yeah or, or uh, Rugrats mm-hmm. yeah you or Ash Ketchum played by a woman yeah 
Uh, but yeah, when you're promoting like a movie, it's like always, oh, you know, it'll be Jamie Foxx's soul or like. That's well, he's an adult though. I know it's just the first animated movie that had. It was really good. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess in theory, it's probably not probably not ethical, but I think just by virtue yeah. of the fact, it's a thing we want. I feel yeah. I mean, I feel like by any objective measure I can think of, it just seems unethical. Like I can't. It just I don't I don't see any version where you can really argue that it's not a negative impact. On, I guess other than like them becoming rich, but even that's sometimes a negative impact on them. Yeah, especially if yeah they they turn eighteen, they've got a bunch of money, but then like yeah, no means to get through the world. Yeah. And and or maybe it just gets stolen by their goddamn parents. Yeah, which it, happens it, less because of the Coogan accounts. Yeah, um, you poor, know, poor Coogan. Poor Coogan. Who do you remember what his story was? He was like a child actor who got his money stolen by his parents. But what was he in? He was in like the twenties, I think. Oh really? He was in the kid, the Charlie Chaplin. Oh movie. shit! Was he the kid? I I would guess. So yeah, one of the first child stars in the history of Hollywood. I mean, I didn't realize. So I didn't realize it was him because he plays Uncle Fester in the TV show Adam's Family. He like was in stuff later in his life. Oh, he had a bit of a resurgence. Yeah. When was the Coogan Act enabled? Uh, enacted. Thirty nine. Oh, I didn't realize the Coogan Act was so old. It was like pretty immediate. I think like basically once it came out that he was like penniless because of his parents. Like yeah, Congress was like Whoa. we should explain what the Coogan what a Coogan trust is. Uh, it's when you're when you're a child actor. There's a like the, you have to put together a trust that the parent that all the kids' money goes into that the parents can't touch, and then the kid gets it when they're 18. Mm-hmm. Right? That's yeah. basically the gist of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any money that you make as a child actor gets is not accessible by parents. Yeah. Period. Until you turn 18, which is good because yeah. parents will steal that money. Yeah. Uh, that's we talked <laughs> about bad showbiz parents. That's yeah. yeah. And they'll find ways to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're still going to like, I mean, they're still bad showbiz parents. Yeah. They can still like use emotional blackmail to control their kids and get money from them. Mm-hmm. I don't know any specific examples off the top of my head. I don't feel like yeah. I don't really follow. I'm not like into the that side of show business. Yeah. I feel like Lindsay Lohan's parents, I think people were very critical of. Britney Spears' parents. Feels her similar. mom was her manager. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mom, parents being managers feels like a bad idea. Yeah. Also, managers is a real uh, pretty murky territory. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that, like, cause like, okay, so agents can't produce. That's like a whole thing. That's like a, because it is a conflict of interest to be producing a movie that you are also and also trying to like advocate for your clients mm-hmm. who are actors because they're just diametrically or uh, they're uh, they're opposed they're opposed to each other. Yeah. Um. Because on one hand you want to get a deal on the actors, and the other hand you want to get as much money as possible for your actors. Yeah. But weirdly, managers are allowed to produce because they're technically not agents. Right. And they have their own, like, manager, management companies often have, like, production arms. And yeah. It's all kind of under the same umbrella. But, like, meanwhile, CAA, they were doing the whole, like, CAA was doing the whole packaging thing. And they had to, they got in legal trouble for it and they had to divest themselves of their packaging companies. Yeah. One I of which produced a pilot we worked on, which is very funny. Yeah. They, oh, the packaging was specifically because it created a very clear incentive for agents to not fight for money for their writers but that's the whole point that's just why it's because packaging is producing like yeah yeah it's the that's the whole reason why they're not allowed to produce yeah like i knew a writer who um his agent tried to push him into he was offered two jobs on two sitcoms mm-hmm. one of them was a higher level for more money and the yeah. other one was a lower the level he was currently at for less money yeah and on a show that was less prestigious yeah uh and the agent really pushed him towards the worst job it was like really aggressive Specifically because it was a uh, package show by that agency, and which meant that if they brought him into the package, the agent would make a lot more money, even though his client would be making less money. Yeah. So you don't want 
that. So you, it feels like a weird loophole that managers are allowed to do that because they, I mean, it's not literally the same, but they operate a very similar space in the industry. Yeah, but I think there isn't there. I don't, to my knowledge, there isn't a a way that managers can push you towards a bad job because they will get like an extra amount of money from the packaging on the back end. Like they might, if you bring them your project, they will like produce it, and they might like want you to make like try to push you to take less because like it's more for the other project. Yeah, but that, that's something that's like more above board. Whereas like if you're looking for someone specifically to negotiate money for you from like for the packaging end, it's you don't want that. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. di- there's definitely different incentives for managers when they're producing their own stuff, but also the packaging thing was very specifically like creating incentives for yeah. agents to negotiate their own clients downward. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess it, I guess it's a little bit more abstract with managing and producing because like it's just that you're trying to use the budget of the movie for other things, so you might want to try to negotiate down your actors' costs, and that's like a little more above. Okay, that's something that will happen anywhere. Where because like, you also hear about agents trying to push their clients downward to like because like they're trying to make connections in there on the higher level yeah well and also like i remember when i worked at a management company they would they would heavily encourage their clients to just work on bigger movies even if they were like artistically worse yeah because they just they get they get 10 percent or whatever they would get 10 percent of where their fee was right. they didn't care if it was a good or a bad movie other than how it maybe globally affected their career yeah but in terms of like the type of actor they were, it didn't matter. The, the specifics of the management element of it, mm-hmm. something I'm not too experienced with. I would love to one day have a manager. I think that would be great. great. Yeah. yeah, that being said, <laughs> they're all crooks. That being said, I would love one. <laughs> My address is, yeah. <laughs> come on by. Yeah. I'm doing nothing. <laughs> Literally. Literally nothing. Let's do some recs and get the Let's book out of here. Rec. All right, you do it first. All right, you're going to hate this. Uh, in my eternal quest to always recommend weirder and dumber stuff, yeah. I'm going to recommend specifically an Instagram Reels account, which may also be a TikTok account. It is Monkey Daily. And <laughs> apparently there's a clip from a uh, uh, the Kung Fu Panda TV show where Monkey, the character, turns, looks up to camera and says, you saved me, why? And then Ugwe, the turtle, says, mm, Monkey. Okay. And every day I post that clip and nothing else. And yeah, let me let me tell you this: when I'm flipping through my reels on the toilet and I'm bored. It's you know a bunch of really shitty TikTok trends that are really boring. And then I just see mm, monkey, brightens my day. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, I could recommend the podcast. That's. I mean, I like I like our podcast. The podcast. No, no, the podcast I was listening to about prison stuff that was like interesting. I will say, like, I haven't listened to all the episodes of this. I listened to one of them, and I don't, I don't necessarily agree with everything these people say. But I think mm-hmm. it's just very interesting as kind of like flavor for like prison stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's locked in with Ian Bick. Okay, it's a it's an interesting podcast. I'm like, I'm not necessarily endorsing everything these guys say, but like as a look into what the life is of prisoners, it's very interesting. What should the people do at home? Oh, rate, review, <laughs> subscribe, follow us on TikTok, follow us on Instagram, HPLB podcast for both, and. Uh, Tell your friends about us. Spread the word. We need some word of mouth going. Yep. Uh, Goodbye. Bye forever. forever.